all you beautiful people, and welcome to the Glorious in the Mundane podcast. I'm your host, Christy Knuckles. Thank you so much for listening in today. I'm sure that your heart has been heavy like mine these past several days and weeks, and honestly, I just find myself in this crazy juxtaposition as I sit in front of this microphone today of just wanting my words to be few in times like these as I've been preparing for this podcast right during the Las Vegas tragedy, as I feel what I can only describe as a holy hush in my heart. I don't want to appear at all as though I know what people are going through and that I have something to say directly to it. I don't know what they are going through. I can't imagine that kind of loss right now. And of course, you just dread that anyone might think that I'm just trying to push through this and sell my brand and continue on with life as we know it. So there's just such a heaviness and a sacredness in mourning, I think, with those who mourn. And I want to be in that posture today. And all at the same time, this truth rises up in me that we, the people of God, carry the very hope in us that is the hope of hopes. He's the answer of all answers, the miracle worker, the chain breaker, the heart healer. So I guess like never before, I feel the weight of wanting to hide the Word of God in my heart so that it is what I offer in times like this, that by the Spirit of God, our words as His very body would be His words spoken as a healing balm to anyone who needs it today. So that is the posture I come in as I proceed to speak more words than I feel like speaking today. It's been a bittersweet few weeks for sure as we've released something so special into the world. This album, Be Held, Lullabies for the Beloved, continues to seem so timely. Again, I'm not trying to sell something today, but just acknowledge the great comforter who is our Father, how He chooses to use us, His own, to be extenders of His comfort to others. I believe He created music for this purpose as well, to praise Him because He's worthy of all of our praise and to let Him sing over us when our hearts are restless and breaking. It could be through the simple sound of a cello or the warm tone of a vocal sung prayerfully. And surely when His Word is set to melody, it burrows deep into our hearts and never returns empty. I've loved so much reading countless comments from those of you who are enjoying the album. And of course, God is doing what only He can do through it. There have been many comments about kids who usually have fitful naps, who have been falling fast asleep during nap time or in the car, which of course just makes me so happy. It's kind of funny, a few years ago, a mama came up to me, and this mama might even be listening right now, but she said, you're my baby's kryptonite. And I sort of looked at her funny, and it kind of took me a minute because I was like, the green crystals that Superman's afraid of? And she said, exactly. You weaken my baby's defenses when I play your music over him. (laughs) I thought that was so cute. So there have been several stories like that, which are so sweet. There have been many comments from adults, including some very sweet friends of mine who are letting God sing over them kind of for the first time in a long time. And many mamas are sharing it in the car during moments where everyone's having a breakdown including Mama, and are sharing just how the Spirit of God is just bringing calm through it. And I just love that so much. A dear friend of mine, Aaron, who was actually Noah's first nanny when he was just a baby, 
she lost her only sibling, her sister, to ovarian cancer in 2012. I sent her the album this past week in the mail, and she texted me shortly after saying that she'd been playing the album for her kids and that her grade school age son just kind of blurted out, this music reminds me of Aunt Elliot. Aaron said she was just kind of shocked that that was his reaction, and she kind of just didn't know what to make of it. And so she and I just kind of chatted about it over text. And I told her that I think sometimes children sense the Holy Spirit, and they don't exactly know what it is. You might remember me telling you that Annie Rose used to just sort of cry her eyes out when we would listen to Audrey Assad's song called, I Shall Not Want. I would play it in the car and I would turn around and she would just be sobbing. And it would be hard for her to explain what it was or exactly what was getting to her heart. So sometimes kids, they tie it to something really emotional in their lives, or they tie it to someone they love, or maybe a time in their life that eternity was placed into perspective for them. So I told Aaron, maybe it's the hope he has that he's going to see his Aunt Elliot again in heaven. It's hard to say why he made that connection, but it just made me weep that God would be so kind to His children to make those connections. I had another mom tell me at a live concert that we did the other night, her little girl was in the room when I was singing the lullabies, and her mom was working out at my CD table helping out, and she said her little girl pretty much just burst out of the room crying and came out and stood in front of her. And her mom was like, what is it? And she said she couldn't really explain. She was just sobbing, and she said, the music made me miss you. And she was just overcome with emotion. And her mama said she looked right at her and said, Honey, that's the Holy Ghost. (laughs) I can only believe that in these dark times, the Word of God is true and that His Spirit is being poured out like never before. I sense that more than ever in all my 43 years. As I've told you before, I wept when I wrote these songs and I sang these vocals I was stirred to pray for things that I felt like the Father wanted to do through the songs, but I didn't even know how to really articulate them, so I just wept. And I'm just so thankful that Jesus knows and that He Himself is both working in unknown ways through it and also that He's bearing the weight of it all at the same time. Through this release, our little team has been like the Dylan Panthers around here. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. If you don't know that TV show reference, it's okay. I think it's clear of what I'm trying to say. I'm not at all trying to condone you digging out old Friday Night Lights episodes. (laughs) My point is that it's very easy in life in general to lose perspective on what's really important. And I know this because I've done it many times. But in the TV show, I'm referring to Coach Eric Taylor's biggest battle each and every week with his football team is basically to protect their perspective. He knows that once they lose that, they lose heart. And once they lose heart, they lose hope. Once they take their eyes off of the one thing that they are supposed to step on that field for, their vision is suddenly clouded, and their hearts subsequently become crowded with fear and doubt. As release week came around, I had plenty of opportunities to just keep giving all the plot lines to Jesus that I simply could not do anything about. I cannot make the music go forth into all the world. I can't plant things in people's hearts. I can't make it stir something new and fresh and alive in people. Only the Spirit of God can do that. What I can do 
is live the message of these songs right where I am. I can be the beloved. As I'm getting the word out as best I can, I can trust that He holds the bigger picture. I can pay attention to the most important plot lines of life, which are the people right around me or right in front of me at the moment, whether that's at the orthodontist celebrating with their youngest that she got braces this week. It might be with a woman standing before me at my CD table telling me that her mama just passed away this past week and that she had already been struggling with a lot of things and for her mom to go, it was just unbearable. She wept as she told me that the Lord stirred a song in her heart as her mom was taking her last breaths. The song was, I'm my beloved's and he is mine. His banner over me is love. She told me that she literally hadn't thought of that song in years. But that was the song God stirred in her heart in the moment, and it's what her mama went home to Jesus to. Then she proceeds to tell me that she arrived at the Lifeway Abundance event that I was leading at with 12 women that she's been trying to just lead through life and disciple right now, even through her struggles. And at the end of my worship set that first night, she couldn't believe it. I started singing, I'm my beloved's and he is mine. She told me that the Lord told her to come tell me this story just to make sure I knew that I was hearing him and also how encouraged she was by God that a song that she hadn't heard in literally decades would be placed in her mouth twice that week. I wept. She and I both did as she just walked off. She kind of held my hand a little bit and I thought, how seen she must feel by God. But honestly, I couldn't help but feel the same. These are the plot lines I don't want to miss right now. The weekend before I released the album, we got to do two house shows for the Lullaby album, and I want to tell you a little bit about them. I was already slated to lead in Tyler, Texas at a wonderful women's event there, but on Friday night before that, my sweet friend, Whitney Prosperi, helped us host one of these house shows. Whitney and I have been friends since 1997. And if some of you listened to Nathan and I when we were called Watermark, Whitney is actually the friend that I wrote the song more than you'll ever know about. Whitney has prayed for me for years, and she literally prayed me through two really heartbreaking miscarriages that I had back in 1999. So that's why the song says, you've been more than a friend to me. You fight off my enemies because you have spoken the truth over my life. And you'll never know what it means to me just to know you've been on your knees for me and you have blessed my life more than you'll ever know. Whitney and I still pass prayer requests to each other to this day, and it was not surprising to me at all when 70 women showed up in her living room that night. She tried to say it was all because of me, but I knew better. This woman has raised up a village of women there. She is one of the most faithful prayer warriors and discipler of women that I know. Often when Nathan and I are preparing to leave town, our minds are so wrapped around leaving the house, like Nathan's head is wrapped around what projects he's buttoning up in the studio and what gear he does and does not need to pack. And it often just takes the whole flight for us sometimes just to process our coming and our going. Just a little example of this is this past summer, Nathan and I led worship in the Bahamas at an event called Love Song Getaway. I know we're really roughing it, but... (laughs) 
is a marriage retreat type thing that we've been a part of several times. And so it was just the two of us flying out, no road manager on this one, which is always just interesting because neither of us are good at keeping up with itineraries or anything that relates to traveling. So we're headed to the Bahamas and last minute, Nathan decides to take this really nice guitar that belongs to our friend, Matt Redman. Matt had let Nathan borrow it a long time before that because he was flying back to the UK and he didn't have room to fly it back. So he left it in Nathan's care and told him, you know, you can use it, whatever. Well, Nathan had always wanted to try it in a live setting, so he decided last minute to take it with us. Well, we get all the way to the Bahamas. It's late at night. And I see the guitar on the coming around the belt and the baggage claim. So I run and I grab it while Nathan's doing some other things. And when I pick it up, I notice that the guitar case feels really light. I knew it was Matt's guitar. So when I noticed the lightness of the case, fear just pretty much shot from the top of my head to the bottom of my toes. I said, Nathan, this feels too light. I opened the case right then and there in front of everyone, and it's empty. Nathan and I were literally speechless. I started looking around. Literally, my hands were like on the top of my head. I'm looking around for anyone who might could help us. Everyone's just staring at us. Nathan goes over to the gate agent, and he literally can't talk. He calls me over there to help, and he looks at me and says, I'm lightheaded. I'm not thinking clearly. I need you to help me remember what this lady is saying to me right now. Of course, he's thinking about how he is going to tell Matt that his guitar has clearly been stolen. Mind you, this isn't your average guitar that you just go down to the local music store and buy. We're talking that this is kind of a one-of-a-kind boutique guitar that costs more than some used cars. Plus, it just belongs to someone else. Anyway, we go through all the steps with the airline agent, and we get in the cab to go to the hotel And Nathan begins the process of pulling up a text to tell Matt the horrible news. I'm next to him, and I'm just so bummed because we were so looking forward to also just getting away and enjoying some time together alone. And I knew that this was going to just set Nathan into a spiral for the entire week, that he was responsible for his friend's guitar being stolen. So he starts texting with Matt. And typical Matt, he's just so gracious to Nathan the whole time. And then about four or five texts in, Matt says, Hey, mate, just wondering, are you positive the guitar was in the case? I'm looking at the text as Nathan's reading it, and he looks at me, and I look at him. Matt was like, I've actually thought the guitar was in the case before, and it wasn't. So maybe call home and check. Who knows? Maybe it's there. Maybe just for some crazy reason you didn't actually pack the guitar in the case. So we call home, we're both just shaking. It was this long drawn out process because we had to help my parents find the right key that goes to Nathan's studio outside. So they're outside in the dark, you know, rummaging around with the keys. Nathan and I are about to vomit. Finally, the doors open and our middle child, she goes inside, Ellie. She's kind of the one that we send in. So Nathan's talking to Ellie on the phone. He was like, okay, babe, right over there by my chair. Is there a dark brown guitar on a stand just sitting there? She was like, yes. And he was like, what does the brand of the guitar say at the top of the guitar neck? And she says, callings. And we both literally almost fell out dead in the cab. (laughs) He had not packed the guitar in the guitar case.
that was the very guitar sitting there in his studio. So he flew an empty guitar case all the way to the Bahamas. (laughs) He was overjoyed to get back on text to tell Matt that he was indeed right and that the guitar was never put in the case to begin with. And then Matt started in with all of his word puns that he is known for, like, oh, cool, mate, looks like the case is closed. Or, hey, mate, next time bring your guitar just in case, like in quotes. I think there was another joke about Nathan being an air guitarist. You get the idea. Oh, my. You should have heard the Delta agent on the phone that night when Nathan called in to say that we no longer had an investigation on our hands. The agent on the phone literally could not stop laughing. Nathan literally said out loud, well, I'm happy I could give you some good news tonight, enough to literally make you die laughing. (laughs) Anyway, you get the point. The struggle's real over here, and sometimes getting to places the day of is about all we can do. And the preparedness happens, yes, in the hours before we lead. But it also is just that we have to sort of live prepared for ministry moments. We've kind of just learned that. This particular night, when we showed up in Whitney's living room, we'd prepared on our end as far as what songs we were feeling to lead, what thoughts and prayers we had for these women. But what I was not prepared for was all that God had for these women. And that's when God shows up and does what only He can do. And that's what you always want. I'll never forget their radiant faces as we all got still and the lights were dimmed down to a glow. It would be the first time that Nathan and I would share most of the record with anyone in a live setting. We sang through almost the entire record that night. I don't know if it was the safety of being in someone's living room, but it just felt sacred, and it felt like every wall came down that night. One of the most precious gifts to me that night was that my friend Katie was there. It's hard, honestly, to describe the significance of Katie being there that night. When I was just a little girl— even younger than our Annie Rose right now, there was a Southern gospel group, a singing group, that used to come to our church about twice a year. They were called the Griffin Family Singers. And my dad, being a pastor, loved them so much and would have them come for a fall revival and a spring revival just about every year as I was growing up. Their group consisted of a mama and a daddy and five teenage and young adult daughters. I kid you not, I listened to their records every day of my life, probably for at least a decade. It was the record that I would turn on almost daily and sing in front of the mirror with a curling iron for a microphone and mimic everything they did vocally. In the early days, they did a lot of Andre Crouch songs arranged with the most heavenly harmonies that I had ever heard. There's something about family harmonies that are just unlike any other. And my parents would tell you that those harmonies, those songs, these people, even from afar, shaped me in my earliest years, probably more than anything did. Katie remembers and still laughs about how shy I was as a little kid, so shy that I would literally run and hide She remembers one time she was trying to get me to talk to her, and I ran and hid under a table. I mean, I was literally probably nine or 10 years old. But when I grew up into my teen years, and Katie was in her young 20s, I finally warmed up around her when she would come around, and we became friends. 
And I was always so completely blown away with what they did. I remember one time she took me into the little RV that they lived in. They would travel around the country. They pulled their RV behind this big dually truck. They would sing night after night under tent revivals. They recorded records. I think they even all had matching dresses, all five daughters and their mom. It was just everything this little Oklahoma girl could ever hope or dream of. I'll never forget around 2007 or so, I was at the Dove Awards backstage walking around before the show, and I heard this guy's voice say, Christy Knuckles. And I stopped in my tracks, and I walked back, and I looked into the dressing room full of guys standing there, and this young man said, are you Christy? And I said, yes. And he said, my name is Heath Baltzaglier, and my mom was one of the Griffin singers. His mom was Katie's older sister, and I, in that moment, got down on one knee and saluted him with a bent elbow over my head as if he were Thor, the mighty god of thunder, and we both just started dying laughing. I proceeded to tell him how much their music had meant to me growing up and how it had literally shaped me as a singer and a worship leader. Anyway, you get the idea for me to look out and be singing over Katie that night There she was with her eyes closed and her hands raised. It was just so full circle. I closed the night with a song that I wrote for our exquisite Eliana, who's now 14 and a half. I started it when she was just a baby, just the melody. And honestly, it just was some simple lines that I would sing to her as I was learning to be still. I was learning to be present. But it was so sweet in the past months to get to revisit this song now and to rewrite most of the lyrics from a perspective of what I love about Ellie's life now and what I long for her to carry in her heart as a young woman. Before I sang the song over the women, I reminded them that before they jumped to wanting to just play it over their own and sing it over their children or over someone else, I reminded them to receive it for themselves first. Remember to be sung over yourself. Remember how much you still need to be held and told that you're loved. I love the smallness of that room that night. I think it just helped with the whole perspective thing. Clear eyes, full heart, can't lose. Suddenly selling records and getting the word out just kind of falls by the wayside. I felt that Holy Spirit tremble that I sometimes feel when I sing the kind that makes my voice a little shaky and my eyes tear up and my heart beat fast. Because of the size of the room, I was able to look every woman in the face, at least from what I could tell I was able to, as I sang, Close your eyes, just be held, and hear me say how dearly you're loved. And when you rest, that is best, and you'll shine brighter when you wake up. So leave your hurry at the door, you don't need it anymore. The day is done, and we can sing while we watch it go. Every day you're shining dear Like the brightest chandelier But it's okay, just for a while We can take it down to a glow
As I sang those words and that melody, suddenly it was like I could see all the little girls and the women in front of me. Little girls who grew up with a million hopes and dreams inside their hearts of what their lives would be. Some of them might say that they are living the dream, a few of them maybe, but even those women still need to let that dream fall by the wayside for a little bit and just rest. Because we all know that dreams can be beautiful, but dreams can be heavy too. Carrying what's in your heart, it can sometimes feel like a load that's going to crush you. I also know that carrying a load, especially one that actually has nothing to do with the dream in your heart, can feel like it's about to end you. I saw lots of weary eyes that seemed to say, I'm at my wit's end. One woman's words were, I came here tonight at the end of my rope. I've been there, trust me, as I imagine that many of you have as well and might be in this very moment. I literally got to watch with my own eyes a room full of grown women be held by the God who made them and loves them. As I was singing, I looked to my left and see my beautiful Ellie, a young woman now, a gorgeous chandelier in this world, and right in front of me, my Annie Rose, sitting crisscross applesauce on the floor with tears streaming down her face through many of the songs, because these songs have unexplainably moved her like that. At the end of the night, as I was saying goodbye to Katie, thanking her for coming, she took my face in her hands and just looked me right in the eyes and blessed me with the sweetest words. And just like God does, He pulled a thread from a long time ago all the way through, tying it to mark the moment that He is indeed the God who sees. The next day we were traveling on to Dallas where my precious friend Lauren Chandler that I've talked about many times on this podcast, including the last podcast I did, She'd been putting together a house show for us there at a studio in Louisville called the Mill Street House. Lauren has three kids like me. She has a lot on her plate. So we were so grateful from the get-go of anything she would pull together. When we got out of the car, we saw this slice of magic that she had been working so hard at creating. It was the backyard of the studio. It had some big, beautiful trees this really amazing looking stage with all this amazing lighting and rugs and strung lights overhead. Lauren was running around frantic about the mosquitoes. And I mean, rightly so, the mosquitoes were indeed having a feast. So she had gone to get all kinds of bug spray. And I was feeling a little bit frazzled about which songs I should share and just wishing that I knew them by heart more at that point. They're just still so new. And I think I've told you before, it's one thing to sing them in the studio. It's more like an open book test when you do that. You can take it section by section, and you can obviously see your notes in front of you. But when delivering songs live, you want the audience to have a certain security in your delivery, and you want them to sit back in it and receive it. So I was still kind of going over what I wanted the night to look like. I wanted to be able to really be where my feet were when I delivered these songs, And the difference with this one was that there was a good mix of men and women, which I love because it was this great test of, okay, is this record really for everyone? I mean, we knew that women would love it, but are men going to be able to really sit in it and receive it? I was also wishing that I could just sit down and catch up with Lauren. Part of me just wanted to hang time. If I was in Dallas, 
I wanted to see my friend. So all of those things were just kind of running through my mind. Nate and I kind of scribbled the set list down and began our sound check. And as we were running through some of the songs, the beauty of dusk just fell on us. The strung lights had that magic glow. The citronella candles were twinkling on the picnic tables. There were several little girls running around in sundresses. And Lauren came over and spread three huge quilts right at the front of the stage on the grass. And those little girls all came and just laid down, excited for the music to begin. And it hit me. Tears came to my eyes. Because only a few months before the record was finished, I had jotted down some dreams for the lullaby record. To have some lullaby shows under trees with strung lights. And I even said, maybe we just charge by the quilt and people could just bring with them whoever will fit on their quilt. Of course, in the music business, you just don't really say that stuff out loud too often. (laughs) You'll get told really quick that that just can't be done. But as I sat there preparing, the Lord pulled another thread through as if to say, but I can do it for you. Here's your night under the stars, under the twinkling lights, quilts and all. I got to see my friend Jenny Allen that night. Many of you know Jenny as an author and the founder of If Gathering. She came by herself, and as soon as it was over, I ran over to her to get a hug. It was kind of another one of those moments of a friend speaking life words straight to my face and my heart. And with teary eyes, she said, I know it's Saturday night and you're flying home tomorrow to Tennessee, but is there any way that you could fly back to Dallas this Thursday? We both just kind of laughed at first, but she said, no, really, I want you to come to If Pray and sing these lullabies over us. I kind of looked at her as if maybe she was still joking, but I could quickly tell she was not joking. Jenny just still pretty much raw from their entire family uprooting from Austin to Dallas only a few months before that, had tears streaming, and she was as serious as she could be. So for many of you who tuned in to If Pray... That's how that benediction came to be that night. Nathan and I moved some things around, and we were able to get back to Dallas that Thursday night to sing over all you precious If Lead women who pour out day in and day out. And as I knelt down there on the stage that night, just in awe of what an honor it was to get to, by the Spirit of God, refresh those who have poured out, I got to sing rest, and I got to sing the yoke of Jesus over his women. And I loved it so much. As I'm sharing these things, I hope you don't just hear me talking about myself or this record. My hope is always that the Spirit of God is bringing to your remembrance the threads of your life, as we've talked about so much, threads that maybe even just this week the Lord has pulled through and marked to show you that He sees you. If you're like me, they sneak up on me sometimes, and I have to come up out of my tunnel vision and be surprised by them at times. Sometimes it's the tiniest thing to someone else, like strung lights and quilts, but to you, it speaks volumes that He sees you. It will forge gold in you to start thanking Him for those things as you see them. I find that these things begin to show up after surrender, after repentance even, after a great releasing of the load that you're carrying. And it's in the relinquishing of those things that God begins to show up. Often we're waiting on God to show up while we're clenching tightly to what we're carrying, and we're like, I don't see Him. I don't see Him. 
But it's in the letting go of that thing that we begin to see him show up. On the plane ride to Texas that weekend of the house shows, I literally kept having this picture in my head over and over of this project, this album, slipping off of the ends of my fingers. That last release point when something just hits the very tips of your fingers and it's gone. I believe the Lord was saying, release it. Keep releasing it. I have it. I have it. And in that laying down, the surrender sometimes, even repentance is sometimes required, as I said. He begins to show up in ways that only we in our deepest heart of hearts could know. And we write those things down and we tell them we see them. We thank Him for it. We make it an Ebenezer. I'm sure many of you know what an Ebenezer means, but if you don't, it's this beautiful thing to know. It comes from 1 Samuel 7. At the end of the times of Judges, Israel experienced a great revival underneath the leadership of Samuel. And the nation begins to seek the Lord like they never have before. They repent of their sin. They destroy their idols. But it was during this time of repentance that their enemy attacked. And while Samuel was sacrificing the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to engage Israel in this battle. This is in 1 Samuel 7.10. And the Israelites went out to do battle against the invaders And it says that God sent them supernatural help. That day, the Lord thundered with loud thunder against the Philistines and threw them into such a panic that they were defeated before the Israelites. To remember the divine victory, Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen, and he named it Ebenezer, saying, Thus far, the Lord has helped us. Ebenezer means a stone of help or a commemoration of divine assistance. From then on, every time an Israelite saw the stone placed there by Samuel, they would have a tangible reminder of the Lord's power and His protection. The stone of help marked the spot where the enemy was crushed, and God's faithfulness to bless His repentant people had been remembered. Now you'll never sing, Come Thou Fount, the same way when you sing, Here I raise my Ebenezer. Here I raise my stone of help. Here by thy great help I've come. I can only imagine how it touches God's heart when we say and believe that truth. It's here by thy great help I've come. I wanted to give you a little story behind the song, River of Grace, today. I know for me, I love stories, so I'm hoping you love stories too. Jesus taught in that way, so there has to be something in us that He knew would click and respond to that kind of teaching. And I love that He taught that way, so personal, so present, so in the moment, so in the mundane. Often when Jesus would bring up the vine and the branch, as in the book of John, scholars say it was literally because He and His disciples were walking through a vineyard. His disciples and His apostles all learned to teach this way as well when we're warned in Revelation 3 about being lukewarm. Many believed it was because the people at that time clearly would have understood the purposes of hot and cold water. There were both hot springs and cold springs that ran through Laodicea. So it was this clear picture of the purposes of hot water and the purposes of cold water. They were used for very distinct things, but lukewarm water had no purpose. You could get sick drinking it. It would neither refresh or cleanse anything. 
At feasts, only hot drinks or cold drinks were served to refresh, never lukewarm. So these things were taught in pictures, which I love as a songwriter. River of Grace is definitely a picture. It started as a conversation on the couch in front of our bed in our master bedroom. Nathan has always called our bedroom the hub, and it's where our kids have come many times just to sit and rest and talk. And in fact, my Annie Rose is laying on that very couch right now as I speak. She got braces put on yesterday, and her teeth are aching something fierce this morning. So she is laying here because I just think it's a place of comfort for her. But this song started on that very couch. I'd been noticing that our bubbly little Annie had not been so bubbly lately, and that her bounce was gone. So I just kind of went there with her one day. At first, she just kind of shut me out, which that's normal. We all have the tendency to just hide when we're carrying something heavy inside. Somehow we think it's easier just to not have to go there. It's less embarrassing. It's less revealing. But the cost is that it steals our joy. And for Annie, it stole her bounce. I've always said that one of the greatest joys of being a parent is that our children actually take our word for it, especially when it comes to matters of the heart. I've told you before how I came to know that I needed Jesus as my Savior through my mama. I was harboring the scripture in my little heart that was on the wall plaque in our home all those years. I've told many of you this many times. It had my name on it with the meaning of my name, which is follower of Christ. And below it was Psalm 37, 5. It said, commit your way to the Lord, trust also in Him, and He shall bring it to pass. As I wrote it out on a little piece of paper one night during church, I handed it to my mom. And she had the wisdom in that moment to turn that piece of paper over And she wrote on the back of it, Yes, if Christy gives her heart to Jesus, He will show her the way to go. And right then and there, I took her word for it. That simple answer back to me that night literally changed the trajectory of my life. I'll admit that when you have teenagers, and I have two of them, it's easy to get caught up in this lie that they don't want to hear what you have to say. I'll be real and say that there have been plenty of times that my lovely and precious children have all taken turns making me feel like they definitely don't want to hear what I have to say. So hello, my kids are not perfect. We have this saying with our teens, though, and we usually say it pretty tongue-in-cheek, but they know the message of what we are saying is deeper than the delivery. When they are maybe copying an attitude for a minute, we will affectionately say, usually with a smile on our face, but not a condescending smile, just a loving, I know you kind of smile, will say, don't be predictable. It's our way of saying, you're not a statistic. You're not even typical. You're not a number. You're not an average. You're not a punk teen. So act like who you are, because this isn't who you are. We're quick to look at the behavior as the imposter in that moment, not the person. And it usually makes a little smile form at the corner of their mouth almost every time. It gets to the heart of the matter really quick. And we're able to say in that moment, I know your heart, and this attitude is not a good representation of your heart. It works so much better than gritting your teeth and shaking your finger at their face. And I say that because I've definitely tried that one. (laughs) I am no parenting expert, but I've definitely been to the valley and back many, many times over the years. Valleys that Nathan can confirm to you that have sent me to my closet on my face, literally crying out loud to God. I also know that it's inevitable through the years that I have caused wounds in my kids' hearts, along with learning the art 
of calling forth who my children are on the inside, I've also had to learn the art of asking for their forgiveness over the years. I've seen that build trust more than anything, which our tendency, I think, is to think the opposite as parents, to give off this vibe that we're the parents and we know everything. What we do say a lot is, we've lived more life than you. A part of living more life is knowing how to come clean on those teeth gritting, raising our voice moments that simply don't get much done. Rather, I found that with just the initial recognition of the imposter in the situation and gently calling out who they are without shaming them in front of God and everyone, and then just sort of changing the subject and moving on for a little bit, not being fake or pretending nothing's wrong, but just giving God time to work in their heart. I've found that about nine times out of 10, they'll respond by that wall dropping a little bit and they'll let their heart get softer. There's something to sort of setting the bar higher with our kids and they often will actually surprise you and they'll rise up to meet it. I think when they know that they are being called forth and that we've voiced that we remember who they are, they like to remember who they are too. It suddenly makes what they've hoped to be true of them all along be an actual reality. It's this realization, wow, mom and dad think I really am what I've always hoped I'd be. So the person is loved. The person is seen and called forth, and the behavior is just the thing that gets kicked to the curb. This is how character becomes the focus, and when character is built, the behavior is a no-brainer. That's true for all of us. When we make known to them that we know who they really are, I've found that over time they will start to lean in and listen when I really go there with them about heart stuff. If you don't have kids but lead a team of some sort or you babysit or you mentor, call forth what you know to be true of the person. It's always a better idea than sort of responding to the behavior. If they're not responding how you want them to respond, often it's because they don't know if you really know who they are or if you really believe in them. I'm sure that all of you can think of a time that you've been underneath leadership that have treated you that way. You don't feel seen or loved or valued for who you are. You just kind of stay on the outskirts to self-protect. And they don't know why you're not leaning in and being all in with the vision. So they actually might elevate other people in front of you to try to get you to respond by leaning in more to see if you really want it. But what it causes is a total miss. It causes you to actually step further into the shadows And it causes them to not understand where you're coming from. It's a really bad parenting technique too. Trust me, I've tried them all. And Nathan and I find ourselves getting trapped right back in it all the time. We constantly have to catch ourselves if we're zooming in on the wrong plot line. Zooming in on results and behavior just turns into manipulation at its finest to try to get the behavior we want rather than really fighting for who our kids are on the inside. The right thing for leadership of any kind is to pull the ones we're leading close. Tell them that we know who they are. Tell them that they're seen. Tell them that they're known. Call out the gold and diamonds that you see inside of them. Ask them why they're tucked in the shadows. Ask them why they aren't leaning in. Tell them they are not a statistic and a number or a seat filler or a brand carrier. They are a loved family member who has a very specific 
thing to offer. I will say it's awkward sometimes at the start to just sort of get the ball rolling there, but it's come to my attention as my children have gotten older that they want to hear those things, even if they might not act like it at first. They want to talk about serious things. They want to get to matters of the heart. They want to be informed about things. They don't want to be talked down to. They want to know what is behind some of our decisions. They want to know why we are leading them the way that they are. Yes, we still choose to protect them from a lot of things. We don't just load them up with heavy subjects. But sometimes when the time is right, we just go there with them about things. We keep them in the appropriate amount of no as we try our best to just walk in discernment with that. Sometimes we push a little beyond our comfort zone, but what we find is that they feel empowered when hard things are explained to them, or even difficult subjects, if they're just called out in the home, out in the open for us all to talk about. When we're watching a show on TV and a situation arises within the show or something happens that causes them to sort of shoot us that weird little look, we usually just pause the show and we just kind of go there. Usually starts out with something like, first of all, we're really sorry because we didn't have to deal with this kind of thing when we were kids, but this generation of kids, they are completely bombarded with it from literally all sides. And what we've learned is that not much good is going to come from not talking about what surfaced, so the best thing to do is address it. So I'm not necessarily talking about every time there's a sexual innuendo in a movie Some of that needs to just kind of fly over their heads, and it usually does, at least up until a certain age. I think with a lot of discernment, some of it needs to be addressed, though, to call out how the world so destructively takes something very holy, like sex, and completely distorts it. In fact, even as I'm saying this, I'm remembering a comment in a movie that we were all watching the other night that I need to come back around to with my daughters. So I'm glad I'm even talking about this because the Spirit of God is even now bringing things to my remembrance. And I always just think, I'd rather them hear it from me than them hear it from someone else. So yes, sometimes it's little innuendos. Some of them you let fly. Some of them you don't, like the one that just came back to me you address it. Sometimes it's more blatant statements or suggestions that come up against what's true and what's right and what we believe as a family. And Nathan's great about this. His instinct is to want to dispel any illusion of mystery around something that really isn't our mystery, but it's trying to pose as a mystery, like unwrapping a candy-coated message sort of and just kind of looking at it for what it is. Nathan's an investigator, and he loves reading into the why and the how behind things. He likes to be able to talk in plain language to our kids when something's being presented in a way that might seem mysterious, especially things that evoke fear in them. And this is just kind of a fluffy example of what I'm saying, but I'm sure those of you who have kids are knowing what I'm saying. We've tried to be very careful and have worked so hard through the years at shielding our kids, especially when they were younger, from just crazy, weird commercials that pop up out of nowhere. I mean, still to this day, we have teenagers, but if we can shield them from just complete insanity entering their minds, we're going to. We still yell out, Don't watch if some crazy commercial comes on that's either scary or sexual or controversial. And while we're muting the sound on such commercials and shielding our eyes, we remind them that you just can't unsee things. You can't unhear things. And that often it's our own imagination that takes even the smallest thing we see or hear and turns it into an absolute 
fear fest. This time of year, especially with Halloween coming down the lane, the whole scary movie thing is on the rise. And I feel like every other commercial is a freaky looking doll that has somehow come to life and she's wreaking havoc on her neighborhood. So while Nathan is pausing the TV on scary 70s doll coming to life, he'll talk to Annie Rose about where they might have went shopping to find the dumb doll. Some prop manager probably found her at some thrift store. Or, you know, we've been to the Backlot Tour at the Warner Brothers lot, which is so fun, by the way. We've seen the huge prop warehouses where dolls like that live, along with all the furniture from the West Wing. And you can even have your picture taken at Central Park from Friends. You can sit on the actual Friends couch. Again, that's a silly example, but I can see that it averts their attention to something else, and it dispels the mystery. And most of the time, it also scatters the fear. But that day on the couch with Annie Rose was the glorious and the mundane personified for me. Such a clear reminder to me how kingdom things can rise up in our home on a Tuesday, just when we least expect it. Like I said, Annie was hesitant at first, and it just took patience. It took time. I had to be quiet and wait and be patient. I had to be present with her. Finally, she began to speak up a little bit. And when she confessed it out loud to me, I remembered something that Nathan taught me when our son Noah had very first confessed to him a heavy load that he was carrying. And both times in both of these situations, it was something that they had seen on the internet, which is just an entire other battle and a whole other episode, so I won't even go there right now. But without revealing a very sacred moment in detail, because I think some things are just for a private conversation, the gist of Nathan's response and how God led him to respond that day was, don't let shame have any kind of hold here. And even as parents, just to fight for even a merciful and loving countenance in that situation, a countenance that says, you're okay. This experience, yes, it happened, but it doesn't touch who you are, kiddo. Who you are is off limits to this garbage that tries to seep in. And can I just say that I say all of these things with just fear and trembling, that we don't have all this figured out, and that we ask Jesus himself to bear the weight of us saying any of this even out loud to you, knowing that we'll be in this situation with our kids yet again, because the enemy wants to come in after our families. So even when I speak these things, know that I do this with reverent fear of God, knowing that He hymns our families in, and that Nathan and I in our strength have nothing to offer this family. But by the Spirit of God, right in the middle of our feeble parenting, He meets us. Again, right in the middle of the surrender and the laying it down in our open hands, He shows up. That day I led Annie to her Savior, that Savior already that lived inside of her as her Lord, but I had the privilege of showing her that there was even more to this relationship with Jesus. There was even more beyond her salvation. She could learn every day to let her heart swing open wide. That's easier said than done, as we all know, opening the drawbridge of our heart and letting Jesus come in. And doing this for the first time takes leadership and discipleship. But as we learn to do that every day, we become the discipler. We become the ones leading the others to do the same. We all start somewhere. 
And what a privilege to get to share with Annie that this river of grace actually runs inside of her because she's a child of God. The first verse of this song is that invitation of, let's go to the riverside. The second verse of this song says, now that you know there's a river, you can go there anytime. This river runs inside you. So we talked about the fact that when she's in her bed at night, she can lift her voice to him or just talk to him in her heart. She can go to that riverside and her Savior will meet her there. The bridge says, cast your every care. Cast them way out there in the river deep, in the endless supply, and feel your heart rise up from that cleansing flood, so clean and free, so true and alive. In 1 Peter 5, 5-10, after Peter addresses the elders of the church about being the shepherds of the flock that they need to be, he then focuses his attention on those younger underneath leadership. He says, in the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that He may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. That word cast there literally means to throw. Throw your cares on Jesus. The word care there means worry or anxiety. The word is meremna, which means divide, dividing and fracturing a person's being into parts. I think about how that runs true. We are the children of God, co-heirs with Christ, seated with Him in the heavenlies. But how this anxiety and this worry can divide our being It literally sets itself up against who we are to divide who we are. So Peter is saying, throw that on Jesus. Throw on Jesus what literally can begin to divide your very being. I love how my friend Lauren Tomlin teaches me to pray. She says, to send it out loud to the foot of the cross for Jesus to deal with. That's throwing it or casting it audibly to the foot of the cross. Peter goes on to say in verse 8, be alert and of sober mind, Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. I believe the darkness that we are experiencing in this world is only going to get worse before it lifts. Praying the whole armor of God over our children and over those that we love and teaching them to live with it on is so crucial. That's why we wrote an Armor of God song for this lullaby album. We wanted something that kids would remember. Songs help with that. We wanted something that parents could remember and sing over themselves. We need this more than ever. If our fight isn't against flesh and blood, but our fight is truly spiritual every day, like Ephesians 6 says, we have to learn to fight the right fight. Fighting this fight is not in our own strength. It's being covered by that finished work of Jesus, His righteousness, His truth, His peace, His salvation. He, our very shield, covering us while His word is the sword we keep, useful for everything we could ever need it for. 
as I helped Annie take her burden to Jesus that day out loud, because I believe there's something biblical in out loud confession, I watched her entire countenance change, her whole demeanor, and she bounced out of our room. She was back to her true self. No more hiding. And the closer she got to Jesus, the truer she was to the real Annie. And her ability to bounce back came from that place of remembering who she was. I'm about to make a movie reference. And like the Friday Night Lights thing, this isn't any kind of endorsement. It's a DC Comics movie, for crying out loud. But I recently watched Wonder Woman and had a few moments of just watching how Hollywood really does borrow from our story. My friend Lauren Tomlin, who I just told you about, her parents have a ministry called Adventures of the Heart. And they use movie clips all throughout their retreats because of this very thing, how the redemptive narrative of God is threaded through many of the movies that we watch. Usually there's tweaks here and there, of course, but you can still relatively follow the plot line of our story through many epic movies out there about the battle between good and evil and the battle that exists over our heart and over our worship. And I watched the narrative play out as Wonder Woman discovers who she really is. The power that comes from her is literally unstoppable. Like us, she is a created being. She didn't create herself, and she finds out that she was actually very intentionally created for a purpose. And the more that's revealed to her in her journey, the more the power rises up in her. Power that was given to her a long time ago. It was put into her to destroy the evil one that was coming against her and humanity. One of the lines that the enemy of the movie throws at her is, humanity isn't deserving of us. They deserve to be destroyed. He's trying to get her to join him in his agenda. But she discovers in her journey that it's not about humanity being deserving. It's clear that we mess up most everything because we're human. It's about what we believe. And in our belief, we can change the trajectory of our lives. Our belief can bring power and change. Now, there is a lot of rah-rah, go women and girl power stuff behind the making of this movie, but what was so refreshing to me was that it showed her vulnerability. It showed her weakness and her need to basically connect back to who she was and what she was made for, and that love really was at the very center of what made her her truest self, to fight the fight she needed to fight. Clear eyes, full heart, can't lose. (laughs) And isn't that the enemy's reeling in line to all of us? You're undeserving. You don't deserve to go wash in the river today. You don't even deserve to go near the river or the people who are down by the riverside. They don't want to see this filthy load of yours. They're going to see all this mess, these lies, this pride, this vanity. Also, that dream of yours up there on your back, if you lay that down, what are you going to do then? What purpose might you have without it up there on your back? No one else is going to carry it for you. When the truth is, it's not about what we deserve. It's believing the river of grace is that place far from this worried world where freedom awaits from the burden that we've got locked inside. It's believing that you were never made to carry that load you're carrying. So lay it down and we can watch it go. And that we there is intentional. The best way to lay a load down is to lay it down with someone with you, on your side. 
But if there's not a person right now in your life, Jesus is with you. And He's been waiting there for you to come and give it to Him. Even that dream you're carrying around, those plans, that thing that keeps you up at night, that has you at your laptop at all hours, He actually wants you to lay that down. Go to the river and see Jesus waiting there. He's already the offering that you think you need to come with. You say, I have nothing to offer Him, though. It's okay. He offered Himself already, and He's enough for you. He's the offering. You don't have to cultivate the offering today. He already is. And stay down by the riverside a while. Cast your every care. Name them. Cast them way out there. There's plenty of room for anything that is dividing and fracturing and worrying you. He can take it. Let him deal with it. He's got it. Ask him to absorb it. The truth is, he already did. a place far from this worried world where freedom awaits from that burden you've got locked inside oh how you tend to hide so won't you go there with me down to the riverside where the water runs free Let your heart swing open wide Won't you swing it open wide Cause baby you are mine To carry such a load Lay it down And we can watch it go down The river of grace Oh, the river of grace And all it takes is a little bit of faith And Jesus comes and carries it away Down the river of grace Oh
we stay free-hearted and free-handed at the riverside, it's amazing what bubbles up in us. What bubbles up is an offering from us that comes from Him being the offering, from Him being enough, and not from what we're trying to accomplish and attain for the day. Feel your heart rise up today, clean and free, true and alive. Thank you so much for listening today. If you haven't gotten a hold of the record yet, it's available everywhere you listen to music digitally, iTunes and Spotify. But if you want a physical copy, which is just beautiful, by the way, I didn't create the artwork, so I feel like I can say that. It's truly stunning artwork by Lindsay Pruitt. And I don't know, I'm just old school, I think. I still love holding a CD in my hands and reading the words. But you can get one of those through my website, christyknuckles.com and also Amazon.com. They have physical copies that they can get you really quickly. And here are some of the ways that you can help us because our team is the tiniest little teen known to man. There are three of us. That's me, my husband, Nathan, and my manager, Matt Geis. We do have a partnership with a distribution company called The Fuel Music, and they have just been so wonderful to us. But the only people really that we have in the whole world to help us get the word out is pretty much our little team here at Keeper's Branch Records, which is our own label, and you. We have you. I'm an independent artist. I don't have a record deal anymore, and a lot of that is so that we can really take creative risks like we have on this project. A lot of you have said that, that you've appreciated the creative risk that we took. And it's just neat that we've been able to kind of do some things that we thought that God was really asking us to go for. We've been able to just kind of go for it. So all I'm saying is if this record has touched you in any way, just share it with someone. If that's online, great. If it's in the grocery store line and that seems most to you, share it with someone like that. And also you can leave a review on iTunes if you're able to. That just causes more people to just be open to giving these songs a listen. And we believe so much in how God is already using them. And we're confident that He's going to work through it. Also, just so you know, We've been creating some really fun items that are available on my website that go along with the album and that go along with the podcast. For the new record, there are two different tees available. One of them is I'm My Beloved's and He Is Mine. And the other one is the album art on kind of a gray-white shirt that says Beloved at the bottom. It's really beautiful. And also for the podcast, we have the coziest distressed gray hoodie that says the podcast logo on the front, the glorious and the mundane, which I love the simplicity of it. It doesn't say my name on it or anything. So I feel like it's just a great conversation starter. It's a great statement also just to wear around as people pass you by. I've had a lot of people just kind of look at it like, huh. And also we have a coffee cup that's just the cutest little farmhouse style mug with our logo on it, the glorious and the mundane. And there's a few other teas also coming down the lane. So lots of fun stuff to look at. If you are a patron of the podcast on patreon.com slash Christy Knuckles, do not miss your special coupon code for 15% off of anything in the store. So that's really fun. Being a patron of the podcast means that you're basically helping us back this podcast, which helps us honestly just keep it going. For those of you who are not patrons yet, it's just $6 a month and you get the podcast a minimum of five days before the rest of the world, but it's actually almost always been a full week before the rest of the world hears it, which is fun. You get journal prompts after each episode that just help you. It's almost like a small study style 
It allows you to kind of take these concepts and truths that the Lord is causing to bubble up during the podcast and take them to that secret place with the Lord, work them out in real time. So that's fun. And then you get extra posts here and there. The Patreon app is just like a social media type app that will alert you if you want it to, to fun stuff that we've posted. And there will be extra podcasts coming down the lane, exclusive just for patrons only. And then you'll get first dibs on VIP ticketing for podcast live events that we're going to have coming up next year. And also just regular concert ticketing and just random stuff too that we're constantly dreaming up just to make it special for those people who are partnering with us. It's like wind in our sails for real to help keep this thing going. So you can find out more about that on patreon.com. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash Christy Knuckles. Thank you so much for listening today. I hope the rest of your day is absolutely glorious. I'll talk to you soon. Bye.